Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast from TCO Performance Center as myself, Matthew Collar, and Courtney Cronin from ESPN have just spent our last about two hours watching Minnesota Vikings practice. So we want to talk about that and a couple of other topics that are going right now for the Vikings. But first, we really should break down our golf games from the Vikings golf tournament from the other day. So, Courtney, how do you think you played? I thought I played well given the circumstances and I say that because I just started playing golf, like really started picking it up where I'm doing it at least once a week, going to the driving range. Um, about two or three months ago, my mom has been trying to get me to do this since I was seven. Oh, uh, only took 20 years. So Your mom is good at golf. She is a scratch golfer. She um, would have been playing. See, I had actually a conversation with somebody who was in Adam Thielen's group. Um, one of the ladies who was there uh asked me about like you know did I get into golf and also tell my mom's story my mom went to school before title nine and she would kill me if she was listening to this and I just gave away her age essentially she went out to Colorado with their golf clubs showed up for tryouts for the golf team guys like there are no women allowed out here sent back so my mom played um you know it was before the LPGA it's before all that stuff I think she really would have gone that route um but lo and behold very good golfer me on the other hand Handicap's probably about a uh, 21 right now, or maybe even a little higher than that. I think that you would be <laughs> really happy to have a 21 handicap. Cousin said he had a 16 handicap. I was like, that's pretty good. Yeah, I guess, that's pretty solid. I guess Thielen's is like .6, so he's essentially almost there at scratch. Yeah, so. some of these guys, it's really weird, like the difference, because some of them are incredibly good at these sort of things, like basketball and golf, and they just have like a really good hand-eye coordination, great feel for these things. And then you also tweeted a video of Latavius Murray taking oh a swing. Oh, my goodness. Yikes. See, the thing was, so I had forgotten a water bottle. So I went back because we had left at the same time. And I was going around trying to find where my water bottle was. I was on a golf cart with um, a photographer. And he was at Latavius Murray's hole. So I'm like, okay, maybe I should just stay and watch this. So... First few swings for poor Latavius didn't go so well. So I'm like, I will video you because I had a golf lesson right before Memorial Day when I went home to Chicago. And the guy got about, you know, 
10 feet behind me and, and videoed my swing so I can kind of see, you know, I'm not trying to be, you know, Jim Furyk, like in that really strange swing that he has, but um, I was trying to see what I was doing. So I did the same thing for Latavius. We diagnosed it as definitely a problem on the follow through because his back swing was fine. He rotated his hips, his obliques. Um, it was coming down where... I don't think the angle of the club was really conducive to hitting the ball, like trying to come down and kill it. Um, got a little frustrated. His short game uh, was better, I want to say, than his, uh, than, than his drive, how he was trying to drive the ball. But, yeah, there are definitely some guys on here that athleticism does not necessarily translate to being a good golfer, which I think is kind of the common misconception. And the thing about someone like Latavius is you don't have to hit the ball very hard because you're already super strong. Oh, sure. Like you don't have to Let try the club do the swing. work. And right. it's, that's what the number one thing about golf. It's not in the arms. It's your body. It's your rotation. Well, you really should have told Latavius that before he took a swing. But well, Kirk Cousins looked like he had one of the better swings of the day. Yeah. I'm sure he plays a bunch too. The videos that I saw. But I, you know what? I'll assess your game. I think that you were solid. We all Thanks. started out bad. They put us on the hardest hole yeah, on a it, par five. If you ever played at Mystic Lake, starting on 18, is you're setting yourself up for failure to do that. It was not easy. It was a par five, and I think it was a dog leg left, so we all had to drive it out there. And we had to hit over just, water, too. It was raining. I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying it was a tough start for all of us. But then once you got into a rhythm, I thought you did fine. I mean, Thanks. No, none of us are were very good, and it was I was kind of laughing at, you know, the people we were playing with lining up putts and stuff like we're not hitting this putt, but you and I both had long putts that mm-hmm. lipped out that would have been for birdies. So, you know, playing a scramble, yeah. we weren't making birdies on par fives at Mystic Lake, but you know, we were close. We were close to greatness, but we came up just short, kind of like the Vikings in 2017. Oh, nice, nice transition there. I like that. You just equated us to a 38, seven loss. Yeah. That was kind of what it felt like. Was I overall. Keenum? Did I throw the uh, pick six and what are um, you, Sandejo? I think I'm like Rashad Hill. Like, I tried real hard, but <laughs> the bad moments were really bad. Uh, so speaking of Rashad Hill and minicamp, mandatory minicamp, that is, we'll get into some of the things that uh, we noticed from today out there with practice. But first, just what's been on my mind with this team is you have three star players who do not have contracts, and all of them are here, which is not the same around the league. There are a number of players who are skipping out on their mandatory minicamps. Earl Thomas, the most notable, but mm-hmm. Aaron Donald as well. And I think Khalil Mack too. So yeah. there's some big David superstar Johnson. players. Yeah. Why do you think that is that the Vikings have been under Mike Zimmer especially through last year with the kneeling stuff and all that, where they followed his edict to the T. He didn't want them to to kneel, so they went with that. It hasn't been a drama point for them at all. And then here, it seems he wants them at mandatory minicamp, and here they are, even without contracts. Yeah, I think the first thing, I mean, obviously the stance that this team took and remaining you know, very much drama-free last year with the anthem – I think that came from ownership all the way down because the ownership showed a sign of support when you saw the Wilf brothers, you know, linking arms down at the end there with Harrison Smith. Um, And, you know, that's what Mike Zimmer wanted. He made it a point or asked earlier in the offseason when the ruling came down when the owners voted on you either stay in the locker room or you come out, um, that he wants his players to stand for the anthem. This is a veteran group. It's a lot of guys on defense who have played for Zimmer either – their whole careers or dating back to, you know, with Sandejo and with Newman and other stops. So I think there's a very much level of mutual respect of no nonsense um, 
type you know conversations where they don't they're not trying to bs each other they're trying to get to you know very much a baseline of understanding but um so that's where i think they stand kind of on why the anthem has never been a thing and i also think you have some guys who you know they realize financially it could hurt them i think what stefan diggs said when he was asked about the anthem weeks ago um He's a he's got a contract coming up. These guys are not stupid to know that if you're outspoken about this, right or wrong, um, it could really hurt you financially in, in your future endeavors. I mean, they've seen it with Eric Reed before, that with Colin Kaepernick, with other guys getting, um, you know, some, you know, lo- losing out on a lot of earnings. But um, so that's where I think they stand on that. And then you ask about like the the contract situation. Stefan Diggs can't afford a holdout right now. If he was somebody, I mean, obviously he's looking towards, I mean, he's, he's not an immediate need right now. Anthony Barr, I guess you could understand more. Stefan Diggs needs to understand, needs to build, uh, what continue building what he's doing with Kirk Cousins. He understands that. He doesn't have a lot of time. This is something that takes a long time to do. None of them can afford to miss any time here in minicamp and even, you know, dating back, they were all here for voluntary stuff during OTAs. You have to build that chemistry. That's not something that, well, I want to get, you know, I want my contract extension. I want to play hardball here. Um, Even though, obviously, he and Daniil Hunter are 2019 guys, but still looking for that extension, I still think it's a wise move on everybody's part to be here. I think so, too, and maybe what plays a role in it, Anthony Barr got his insurance policy all set, yeah. so maybe he feels like, hey, I'm I'm good in case I get hurt, then I've got this insurance policy. Also, he's playing for, what, $12 million this year, something like that on the franchise tag. I haven't taken a peek at it recently, but it's a, it's a lot mm-hmm. that Anthony Barr is making right now. He's the one that actually could afford to sit this out if sure. he wanted to. 85 grand, like, I mean... That's what they can find him yeah. if he was going to sit out. So he could, like, Diggs is making 550000 or something in that range, and Hunter isn't making much either. So those guys would have a much tougher time if they were getting fined. I wonder if this points to Hunter and Diggs thinking about free agency for next year, thinking, like, we don't want to make any sort of uh, noise here we want to show up and we want to play really well and then we want to get to the end of next year and see what happens and see what the market value is if, if i were in those two guys shoes or if i were their agent i think i would be nudging them toward that as opposed to a long-term extension because i, I don't think you're going to get as much from the vikings now if you have as you would anywhere close if you have a big season next year and a lot of that just because of the cap space and what they have, they bought about $16.2 million left here uh, in 2018 cap space. So you think, seems like there's a vote of confidence uh, between the Vikings and Anthony Barr's side. Okay, come back to you know to the voluntary program, get your insurance policy. We have a good vote of confidence and faith in each other here that something seems like end of July, that week before training camp, it will get worked out. That's at least my prediction. Um, with Diggs and with Hunter... I think they're more complex in that sense, as we've talked about on this podcast. And, you know, it it all signs point to them having to play out the rest of their rookie contracts where I don't know if Diggs could get, you know, Jarvis Landry type money right now if the Vikings were to. I mean, it would make sense why they'd want to extend him right now. But I just don't know. Can they do that realistically when you're taking a look at where the cap gets so much more confusing in 2019, 2020, 2021? Um it's probably wisest to do that. Go have a monster year. Play all 16 games. 
go over a thousand yards, become, you know, have the bigger season between yourself and Adam Thielen, have the bigger season with Kirk Cousins. Maybe he can, I mean, we saw the deep ball again today. I mean, that's, they're clearly connecting. They're finding that they're, they're fleshing out their sweet spot. They've got it. Yeah. He um, made an unbelievable catch. Yes. Today. That was, we were trying to figure out the back of his Jersey was dirty, but he kind of slid on his stomach. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know how that happened, but, um, well, we were far away today. Yeah. It was, it's, my eyes are actually hurting from having to squint so far to see i should have brought my binoculars out it was there. like uh also kind of that gray day where outfielders tend to lose the ball up in the sky when it's, it's blending a, when it's into the clouds day. yeah uh you know this this could also point to just on the other side of that all three guys feeling like they're pretty close to a long-term mm-hmm. contract extension and if the vikings find a way to extend all three of these guys especially with Hunter and Diggs, they'll probably overpay a little bit for Anthony Barr considering what he brings to the table, considering his past production over the last two years. They're probably going to give him more money than maybe they would normally have to or that you would think you'd want to, I guess is the way I want to say it. But the other guys, it'll be deals. It'll be total steals like it was with Xavier Rhodes last year. They got a total steal with Xavier Rhodes. If he was hitting the free agent market this year, he would have gotten much more than he did last season. But he decided, why bet on myself when I get life-changing money guaranteed yeah. right now and then go have a great season? There is that possibility that exists that Diggs and Hunter are both fairly close, close enough to want to be here. Uh, I did ask Mike Zimmer about it, and he said that these guys want to be here, that they don't want to be sitting at home. They want to be around their teammates. They want to be around the guys. That could be a big part of it. Also, this team is thinking Super Bowl. Yeah. And I think when you have all the pressure from your star players and Terrence Newman comes back, he's very influential in the locker room and he came back because he wants to win a Super Bowl and that's the sole focus this team believes they can do it, that I don't think anyone wants to be a distraction, even if it might help their cause a little. It kind of reminds me of a situation that, you know, last year with the Raiders, that when I was still out there before I came out to uh, Minneapolis, Donald Penn holding out, um, and rightfully so, and to a degree, because of the value of left tackles, and he was making like $10 million. Um, that was a team with Super Bowl aspirations. And we knew Khalil Mack's contract situation was going to be coming up here. They decided they wanted to extend Gabe Jackson first, gave him the five-year, $56 million, whatever it was. Derek Carr got the massive, massive thing. But your second-round pick, your, or you know, your first-round pick that year, excuse me, a 2014 class, uh, Khalil Mack, I mean, you knew – this is what it was going to lead to this year. And I think that was a major distraction amongst, um, you know, just with Penn and then kind of bubbling over and realizing that they couldn't get Mac done last year. Uh, it just seemed like that was where this was going. And, I mean, obviously you'd be playing on the fifth-year option, whatever. But that's what they want to avoid. Everything is literally there in such a small window to win a Super Bowl. You can't have any of the ancillary stuff. I think on both sides, between team and players, there's this – understanding that, hey, we're all in this right now and we all have one goal, and that's to win a championship. We can't let the other stuff get in the way of that. And I think that says something for players who, I mean, this is your livelihood, you know, for Anthony Barr to go to go seek out an insurance policy where he could have he could have held out all he wanted to. I mean, you saw it from other people in the 2014, uh, 2014 draft class who are mm-hmm. doing it right now. Uh, I mean, hell, isn't this Aaron Donald's second holdout? It is. Yeah, like, last last offseason he To did, me, yeah. that turns me off as a team. I'm sorry. Like, I mean, in other future teams, no matter how good you are, um, that, you know, 
I don't think you're going to see that here because I just don't know. And someone put this to me once. They're like, when you cover the Vikings, there's no personality in the locker room. I'm like, what do you mean by that? There's no overarching one big dominant Odell Beckham, Khalil Mack, big type personality. Not in the post-Adrian Peterson era. Yeah, there's not, not not saying that it's a bad thing to have a a personality like that, but Everybody is very much on the same page in this locker room, and I think that's why they were able to do what they did last year and why you know, they were able to go out and get these pieces to kind of complete one of the top teams, the top rosters in the NFL. I think it's interesting that when – like Zimmer will reference Bill Belichick sometimes, and I think that for certain types of personalities and certain types of coaches, Belichick is the one that they always point to and the Patriot way and so forth – And we saw in 2016 that that sort of attitude for him being really blunt in the media about players' shortcomings and things like that, it kind of backfired on Zimmer. But when you go 13-3 and when you win, then you have a lot of credibility to say, you you guys better show up and we need you to show up. And your voice carries a lot longer when you just went 13-3 as opposed to a lot of coaches who have tried to um, employ the Patriot way in one way or another, and it's blown up in their face, the Eric Manginis, and already reading a story about Matt Patricia in Detroit. Apparently changing the way that they've done practice, like 180. Having guys run sprints, which is like Bush League, right? I mean, what are you doing? This is the, the NFL. Like, all these guys are in insanely good shape, and if they're not, then you cut them and get someone else who is. You don't run sprints at OTAs and yet it's another guy trying to be Belichick and so here's Zimmer I'm not saying he's exactly that way I think he has a much warmer relationship with many of his players than maybe Belichick does although it's very hard to tell being here all the time and not there it's just when you're gonna have that sort of like we do things a certain way here and you win and you have Super Bowl aspirations it is much easier to have that message come across but I also think it can turn on you pretty quickly if things go down. And you bring up a good point there where Patricia, um, anybody who's been in the Bill Belichick's... In, like, Charlie Weiss, yeah. Romeo Cornell. A lot of that has been the my way or the highway type way of thinking. Every player we've talked to on offense who's talked about John Filippo's system, first off, in... They're not, and I had an interview with him uh, last week. I mean, and even he won't even refer to it as my offense. It's the Minnesota Vikings offense. Cousins said it. DiFilippo said it. Um, that's the way that they think, and I think that works because you're putting guys. You have so many chess pieces here. Whereas you know Kendall Wright, for example, who was brought in to be the number three receiver, and now is you know taking most of his reps to the second team. But you know, I asked him after practice today just about moving around. And he's like, I'd rather do that. Like their defenses know where I'm going to be if I'm only in the slot. And that's where my production, obviously, that's where most of his production was. Mm-hmm. But you have an offensive coordinator who's adapted that mindset where this is a mutual th- understanding. This is a two-way street. This isn't, um, you know, this isn't like this is my offense, this is what we're running. And I think that that boils down. I mean, maybe, you know, obviously Zimmer's got a different personality than, you know, other coaches on this staff, and it's worked. But I think that you're just seeing the buy-in there because – of what, you know, at least what we've seen so far in OTAs where guys want to be here. They want to be learning this new offense. They want to be learning, you know, how this team can get to, you know, above the hump of an NFC championship game. For Zimmer to bring in another guy that had a similar attitude to Pat Shermer, mm-hmm. it was very important, I think, because Shermer was democratic about the offense. 
that if you talk to Diggs or Thielen, as I did last year about this topic, they all said, yeah, the, in the room, we we have a say. Mm-hmm. And if we don't think something's going to work for us, we'll bring it up and say this isn't going to work. Or maybe you get ideas and say this is what I saw on film or this is what I saw while I was out there. Why don't we try this? And you have really intelligent players on the offensive side, a lot of them, the leaders of the offense. And it's it makes so much more sense to have a dialogue in that way. So even if the head coach is more hard-nosed, although I think he's done a great job in his career, Mike Zimmer, of adapting mm-hmm. defensively to, to change. At one point, he had to adapt to be a 3-4 defense. And then I think we'll see different things this year after what happened in Philadelphia. So defensive coaches are are good in that way. But on the offensive side, when North Turner was here, it didn't seem to be that way at all. It seemed to mm-hmm. be like, this is the offense, you do what you're told. And that didn't work as well as I think it will for Filippo, And plus he's got a lot of talent to work with. Um, Kendall Wright is an interesting topic. Like, where do you see him fitting in? Because so far, I think it's interesting that we've gotten to this point and he's still working with the twos. And I attribute some of that to the fact that he's been in a lot of different systems. He had four offensive coordinators during his time in Tennessee, um, was in Chicago last year. He's bumped around a lot and, his first OTA said this, there were, were, there's wrinkles in this offense I've never seen before. So maybe because Treadwell and Stacey Coley at the time before he got injured, uh, they were running with the ones early on because they had seen this and a lot of the stuff, a lot of the passing concepts were the same um, to what was run under Shermer last year. But I do think there's not necessarily the level of panic right now. Like, oh, they brought this guy in. Well, was he, you know, was it a mistake to bring somebody like that in because he can't, you know, Laquan Treadwell's beating him out for the job. First off, Laquan Treadwell should be beating him out for the job. It, you know, kind of, you know, one of those like, well, it's about time. Are we as sure that this is going to last beyond OTAs, beyond minicamp? They're loaded at the position right now. Outside of Thielen and Diggs, which are obviously locks, that number three receiver position is going to be one of the more intriguing battles in camp. And then you've got about six other guys trying to fight for a spot on the 53-man roster. And then, you know, outside of that, they're going to have some pretty good practice squad guys in case of injury. Um, the Kendall Wright situation is interesting because, you know, he's brought in to be the slot receiver, uh, which is where he did pr- primarily a lot of his damage in Chicago. Does that mean that that's going to take over Thielen's reps in the slot? No. Um, but I just think you can do so much is you can move these guys around. And that's kind of the, the basis of a West coast offense where you have a lot of crossing routes and, you know, you're throwing the, you're, you have just have so many different ways if you can implement some spread concepts in there too, of, you know, all these different receiver sets that you could use. I wouldn't be that worried about it right now. I think it's just been a slow start for him. That's kind of what I gathered when I talked to him. Okay. I want to play a game. Okay. I'm going to name receivers. Chad Beebe. And I, no. And I want you to put odds on or a percentage out of 100. Mm-hmm. Let's not do the pie chart thing again. We totally botched that. People so. still give us grief for that. You know, I mean, it's hard to visualize. Just like when you're podcasting, just visualize a pie chart. I don't think people realize it. In fact, it's not talked about enough how hard pie charts are um, to visualize. Anyway, so I'm going to give you a receiver because I think this battle is going to be one of the best to watch when we get to training camp, that there's spots open and there's a chance for somebody to emerge. And we've seen Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen rise from one of the last guys on the roster to being star players. 
So I'm going to run through these, and we've gotten a little sneak peek at some of these guys. It'll be much easier to tell when they're actually, you know, in pads and going up against DBs. But Treadwell did have his uh, team, uh, his jersey pants on, though. He like, did. Like, full outfit. He wasn't going shorts. I had a great conversation with someone today about the pant wear or shorts that each guy had selected. Now, three offensive linemen were in sweatpants. Which it was not. It's muggy out there. Cold enough for that. I mean, it's like right. It's like seventy-three. My hair's starting to frizz. I mean, this humidity is no joke. Seventy-three humid. Stefan Diggs going with shorts that look like they um, belong. They on were the long. They were longer than the shorts he wore last week. Let's like, leave it at that. But still, like a track runner level shorts. He's oh, going. Yeah. He's going short shorts. Thielen had the yellow ones. He always wears like his yellow gloves. But like. the stretchy dudes underneath. What are those called? Tights? Compression tights. tights? Yeah, whatever. I don't know what they're called. I've never worn Harrison them. Smith wore those last week to play golf. That's I, a little much. I was wondering if that helped your golf game. Mm, I don't think so. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out to the U.S. Open this week and just do a man on the street be like, so would you guys wear tights? Right. Compression tights? How would you play, Rory? <laughs> Tiger, do you think you can get your first major since, what, his last one was the U.S. Open in 08? Okay. I mean, we could focus on this for a while if you want to, but sure. um, all right. So I'm just going to go with uh, alphabetical order here. Just the first percentage you think. Jeff Baddett. Zero. You can have it be zero. That's okay. Because they ha- all right. So let's for for clarification on the 53 man last year. There were six spots. Um, sometimes all six were act- active in games. I think it only happened like once or twice. Yeah. But it was Stacy Coley, Stephon Diggs, Michael Floyd, Adam Thielen, Laquan Treadwell, and Jarius Wright. So right off the bat, we know Thielen and Treadwell. Excuse me. Wow. Uh, well, Treadwell. Yeah. I mean, Treadwell's going to make. Yeah, the he's team. going to make the team. But like, that's fine. Let's go with the guys that we know they're going to make the team first. Thielen, Treadwell, uh, Diggs. There we got three that, for. That's my that, three locks. I'm not going to go beyond those, that. Those are the only three that I think should be 100. percent And I think they will keep six on the 53 man. So, but we have more than that. And the whole idea of trading Laquan Treadwell, like for what? I mean, you would, yeah. you, you would rather have a player that knows your offense and is just here and was out on the field last year while you had a lot of success offensively playing some type of role. You'd rather have that than a seventh-round pick. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason to trade Treadwell. You also are not cutting him because of his cap situation. So that's a question we get a lot. And it just, to me, I'd be stunned if they did. It's $5 million to yeah, cut him. No. Just eat it. Why would you do that? When he's unless, some, unless something progress. egregious happened, but clearly he's starting to turn the corner, at least so we think. Sorry. And I, and I don't think that he's like a problem. Like this is the, he hasn't performed well, but it appears that he's a positive part of the team overall, like in terms of his position group and just how he acts. He isn't like a typical sort of wide receiver, selfish me, first-round pick thing. He just seems like he's part of the team. I think he's evolved. You know, from where he was his rookie year. First year, I think um, it was a problem. You know, he came in from a situation where he was, you know, a god down in Oxford. And he Which, put, same for you. Same for me. Oh, yeah. absolutely. When you cover that. Um, yeah. You know, people would just kind of like, I'd, I do the Walk of Champions through the Grove and high-five everybody too. Um, he played a lot down there, broke all kinds of records. And then he came here and the learning curve was a lot steeper than he imagined. Didn't know route tree, didn't, had trouble running routes. I mean, it was a complete terminology thing he didn't understand. Um, it was a rough rookie year for him. I sat down with him recently and kind of just kind of went through just some of those struggles. And, you know, it humbles you. This league will humble you very quickly. And I think that... It might have humbled him. The humbling process was two years for him. That has not happened with and you. 
No, oh no, I am. Um, no. no, I'm humble and hungry. That's a hashtag. Maybe hungry. Um, <laughs> oh, that's mean. Chad Beebe. Zero. Zero. Yeah, probably. Because I've got some other guys on there that I'm at least. I'm, no, if, he, if you're going to make me do my percentages here, I'm going to actually keep track of percentages. He I can do basic. Didn't math. really stand out at Northern Illinois, so. I am his height, like. Height. 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 What is height? H e i g h t h height. Height. I think it's just height. Okay, enough out of you. Uh, All right, so I've got BB. I'm going zero. And bad at you also had zero. Bad at zero. He's recently Chad BB's birthday, so shout out to him. Uh, shout out to number eighty four. Stacy Coley. I mean, he's making the roster. Are you putting him at a hundred percent? I wouldn't put him at a hundred. I would put him probably like well, he's injured right now. Uh, that was a tough break for him when he I think he tweaked an ankle, tweaked Can't something. Make the club in the tub. Seventy five percent. Or I'm gonna go eighty percent. They, re- they okay. really like him. All right. Caleb Jones. Um. The suspension is a big problem. Yeah, that, I thought that he had a good is... shot. I really thought he had a good shot, but getting suspended for the first four games, it just doesn't help your cause. I'm going to put it at like 45%. I, th- I think I mean, he's going to be around. He'll be on the practice squad regardless if he doesn't make this. But to make the 53-man roster, I'm going to put it at about 45%. But could he make the roster and then just sit those four games and have someone yeah, else there? that's what they did with Michael Floyd last year. So that's kind of a hard one. I'm going to put that still at like a 40% chance. Okay, Maybe that's too high. Wait, is this 100% total or am I just... No, no, no. Okay, it's okay. I got... Each individual. This Marvel. is not a pie chart. Okay, I'm getting confused. Man. Always a struggle. Uh, <laughs> Tavares King. Uh, 25%. They might be, that might be somebody where, you know, depending upon some of the other names that you throw in, that he could be a guy that's there for the first few weeks and then, mm-hmm. you know, when if and when Jones they, has a great camp and explodes, that's somebody they cut, so... Corey Robertson. Now, they paid a they lot paid him. for him. Like... Yeah. Undrafted free agent. Yeah, so I've got Tavares King at 25. I'm going to go with Robertson. Let's go 35% chance. Yeah, I think there's a there's a significant shot that he makes it because they paid so much he, for him. He and Zilstra, I think, have been of the undrafted guys. I mean, and Zilstra's not undrafted. He was a futures contract, and he played in the CFL. CFL but right. the rookies that were not, you know, they didn't draft a wide receiver. Don't, don't so. skip ahead on the list, please. Sorry. Let's stick to the list. Stick to the game plan. Stick to the plan, yeah. Make sure you like uh, how, read your keys. How Treadwell like runs the wrong routes. Like you're trying to do the same to me here. Uh, Jake Winicky. Is that I'm how it's Winicky is what I was calling him. Oh really? Um, I that's thought the it was guy. From, that's the guy from South Dakota State. Yes. And uh, Maple Grove. Yeah. Um, Practice squad possibility. Pra- and so. Yeah, I mean, that to me is somebody who's a lock for the practice squad. Him or Corey Robertson, Robertson could, they stand out as the, the practice squad possibilities. So I'll put him at like a 20%, I guess. And then Kendall Wright is a hard one to figure out. Because really if he different. doesn't really fit into this, they've got other bodies. And I mean, they guaranteed him, I think, 300000 It's not of, a lot. Which is, you know, signed a million, million dollar one-year contract. I think he makes the team. I think it's kind of up there within like, you know... The Stacy Coley range, it's taken him a little bit longer. And it, maybe it's a concerning sign. I don't really think so that he's with the twos right now. Um, I would probably say, you know, anywhere from 75%. And uh, Zilstra. Brandon Zilstra. If he's not on the at roster, he'll be on the practice squad. 
I think he's got a chance. Yeah, I mean, he had, that, he had a few good grabs last week. I didn't really see too much from today, but... He's, he seems like he's sort of a natural wide receiver. He catches the ball really he's well. Tall, he's lanky, tall. yeah. Uh, but, you know, CFL success. We've seen a handful of those guys come in. The Terrell Sinkfields, who one year shows up as a wide receiver, and then the next year shows up as a cornerback. The, a lot of these are long shots. I guess the whole point of the exercise is just to say that this wide receiver contest that's going to be going on that I I think it's going to be worth watching. And already now we're starting to see it take shape a little Mm -hmm. bit and there's some spots open for people to battle for an easier way. I'm going to do this right now, just because I'm looking at the list. So we've got, let's say, let's just pick six uh, off the bat. Let's both do this six off the bat that you think are going to be on the 53 man roster. And then the rest we can look at as practice squad guys. So for me, it's, Thielen, Diggs, Treadwell, Coley, Wright, and then here's a toss-up. I'm going to go with Brandon Zilstra as my six. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, I mean, I have all of the same as you. The guy that is going to be maybe borderline is Tavares King. Yeah. Because he's played before in the league and had his moments last year with the New York Giants, including a really big game against the Philadelphia Eagles. I haven't seen enough from him to really have a sense for mm-hmm. how good he might be. But the fact that he's still around in the league at 27 years old, he's kind of tall, lanky. He's the fringe guy that I'm just not really sure about. And then the Caleb Jones point of yeah. would they leave him on the roster, let him be suspended, and then decide to bring him back or not bring him back? or How are they going to handle that? But, I mean, I mean, when you look at that, though, the receiving core, Coley is the, the swing guy. Because last year he got off to a great start in preseason. He was tremendous. And then we never saw him in the regular season, which is understandable since you have Thielen and Diggs that they weren't giving out opportunities. But he could very well come into his second camp here and not perform and have other people beat him out. Last year he had to beat out Rodney Adams, who then retired right after the season, basically. So, like, Rodney Adams didn't really want to be there. There wasn't very good competition. This year there's much better competition. Absolutely. Okay, I had something else, and I'm trying to find it. So did you have another note from today's practice that you wanted to bring up? Um, Offensive line, I think, is, you know, that's the storyline. If you're talking about, like, overarching, it's how Cousins fits into this offense, how it looks. But as we start to get into camp, the things that are going to be talked about for the next six weeks as we inch towards the end of July, what does that starting five look like? Um I had to do uh, – we have a post coming up next week on just, you know, kind of recapping the off season. The move I didn't like, they really should have, in my opinion, this should not be an issue going into camp. They should have addressed the right guard position before they even got to the draft. They could have done it. Somebody that I think you and I talked about, um, Josh Sitton. You know, I, th- I look back at that. Like, I don't even – I'm trying to think offhand where he landed. Um, but – There were so many options, even before the draft, for maybe not, you know, the Andrew Norwells of the world and and Pugh and all that. They couldn't afford those guys, but they could have handled this situation months before they even got to April. And here we are where another another line combination to where it's Riley Reef at left tackle and Danny Isadora is getting the first team reps at left guard today, then Nick Easton, Mike Remmer's still staying at right guard. It looks kind of like that's going to be what, at least for now, that's what that would be your that would be your day one rotation or day one combination on the offensive line was Rashad Hill at right tackle. 
Is Rashad Hill going to be able to hold down that position for 16 games? I would probably not put my money on that right now. This just seems like, you know, everybody asks me about it on Twitter all the time. It's like, well, you know, who's at right tackle today? Who's here? Who's there? They're still not done. Let's let's reiterate that. They're still not done moving guys around. I expect that to be a constant uh, going into camp, but this 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 could be make or break this position group. Putting him out there really by himself, Rashad Hill, with your only backup option being shuffling everything around and moving Remmers back, and Brian O'Neill not being anywhere close to ready, it does make you feel like you're kind of walking a tightrope with with Hill. Because if that doesn't work out, then you have gone through the entire offseason with Remmers at guard, and then you have to kick him out to tackle all of a sudden. And then, what, you put Tom Compton or Danny Isadora? Like, I mean, your only other option behind, you know behind Hill right now would be Aviante Collins because as we said O'Neal you know for for as much as the ceiling is there he's not ready right now that's that's a fact he's not ready no no he's not uh physically just from a physical standpoint it's not grasping the playbook necessarily but he's not ready and 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 we've seen him even just not in pads here get worked on pass protection quite a few times in these practices didn't to Sean Bauer today he shredded him today yeah yeah. so, so like and that's not the first time where he's just gone to block someone and Mike Zimmer talked about how you can see in pass protection the technique with that even without the pads on the run blocking is a little bit different because it's much more you know aggressive but um, yeah I mean he looks like he's just behind and of course that was what they said from day one when he was drafted is he's gonna have to make a lot of progress when it comes to that technique so I, yeah, I mean, you really are sort of flying without a parachute at that position. And last year, I was just talking with someone today about this with the Eagles game and what the explanation for the Eagles loss was. Someone sent this this tweet that we should do a full podcast just breaking down the Eagles loss, which I think we, we did that, did. right? Yes. I think we did that several times. I've, I've, uh, I've watched the January film. January to February. Yeah, I've watched the film back a couple times now doing different articles on the Eagles game. And the reason they lost to the Eagles was the Eagles offensive line dominated them. Mm-hmm. And that is something that and their f- defensive line. They, yes. And, right. This, the strip sack, the interception. And at this moment, it's like, well, your offensive line might be average if nothing goes wrong, but it is not going to dominate anyone. And it's the one area where you are still quite a bit behind the team that won the Super Bowl last year in the Philadelphia Eagles. And as we look at it right now with Rashad Hill at right tackle, Mike Remmers at right guard, it's it's hard to say how that's going to work out. And that's something that maybe they didn't want going into training camp here in minicamp is not being sure how the offensive line was going to work out. Yeah, and that's – I get that you want to solidify it, but are you really solidifying it right now by running the same road – you know – is this really an answer? Rashad Hill got worked the last few games of the season, particularly in the playoffs. And, you know, you're going to face elite defensive ends, you know, this year. They have a lot. They face Philadelphia. They face the Rams. They've got, um, you know, obviously Chicago's better there, too. I mean, they, they face some really, really good defensive lines, and I think that's mm-hmm. going to be a problem. Um, you know, for me, when I take a look at the situation – I guess that's probably your safest offensive line, um, at least because, because by the time that that comes to camp, it's Easton going back to left guard, Pat Elfline starting back at center, because uh, he's been injured and, and going through his rehab this spring. But you know, I can. It's either way, 
the problem is you're creating a revolving potential for a revolving door, either right guard or right tackle. That helps nobody, and that's even without the injuries. That's just saying you know bad play could potentially lead to that. So we um, here at TZO Performance Center, we talked about earlier. We don't have a whole lot of drama. We don't have a whole lot of like this is the pressing storyline from mini camp. Live, Courtney Cronin on ESPN. We we don't really have that. Do I talk like that? Yes, that's your voice <laughs> to a T. And I, I think I was like sending it out to you. I was like the cool guy in the studio that has like puns or whatever. Um, but we don't really have that. We don't really have any sort of dramatic situation. Is there something within the NFC North that you are keeping an eye on really closely that is more dramatic for them on those other? teams than it is for the Vikings that you're really thinking about? Well, I think Chicago's not going to be a cakewalk by any stretch. They're a lot better. They had their mini camp last week, uh, so I kind of watched here and there to see what was going on, You know, kind of seeing where Roquan Smith is going to fit in, and Mitchell Trubisky making the jump in year two. There's somebody I'm keeping an eye on, and I just want to know how much better the Packers are. I mean, does changing your defensive coordinator and, you know, drafting cornerbacks and back-to-back rounds or your first and second pick, How I mean, their secondary was atrocious. Um, what battle is Kirk Cousins going to have going against that secondary this year? And, you know, where does Rodgers stand? Is the team, is the supporting cast around him really all that much better uh, than it was a year ago when, gosh, by the time week six hit, his offensive line was not good, um, even then. You know, how much better are they now? I mean, that's to me, it's it's keeping track on rosters that are not nearly as stacked from top to bottom as the Vikings. And I think that, you know, it's fair to say the Packers probably fall in that category. The Lions are really interesting to me because I think they should have been better over the last three, four years than they were. Maybe they can run the ball this year. Well, that's one thing, and their defense was just an abomination last year, and how did that not take a step forward? And Jim Caldwell's game management was a disaster. They're a team that has given the Vikings some problems over the last couple of years. I mean, they beat them at home last year. Maybe if Delvin Cook doesn't get hurt, they don't. But still, they have won at U.S. Bank Stadium twice, which is an impressive feat. And then going there, the Vikings split on Thanksgiving over the last two years. So now you have a new head coach. You're running pretty much the same offense, which has been pretty effective under Jim Bob Cooter over the last couple of years. And you hire a defensive coach. Is it going to be better? Is this, is this really a team that we should be looking at? Because Chicago is the under-the-radar sort of sexy pick to surprise mm-hmm. because of all the changes they made. And the Packers get Aaron Rodgers back. They become really interesting. Where do the Lions fit in all of that. And to have a story come out already that they're not really liking their head coach is okay. All right. Now we've got some talk to about drama. At. I mean, God, that team's had drama since all of the allegations came out about the 21 years ago, the, right. the, the, the alleged rape that happened or something. Um, I realize I'm saying that kind of like very, it's sounding like very aloof, but like, I just don't really know what to call it. Cause apparently it just very much was, this is not an issue anymore. That's kind of, like just a little weird like just how that whole thing went Mm -hmm. away so quickly and I mean that you know whether that's affecting the chemistry of the players and all that and I mean I know uh certainly wonder if it'll come up again yeah it disappeared pretty quick like you said but who's out there is someone from the Detroit News working on finding the the person who accused Matt Patricia or like that was one of the things that came to mind for me is like this could be something when as it was going on this could be something that pops up again down the road 
no doubt. I mean, that's very weird that that thing went away as quickly as it did. And, I mean, they were very staunch in their support for him, which, you know, if obviously you don't – we feel like sometimes we're in a society where it's guilty until proven innocent, which you don't want. But um, the, how quickly that went away was kind of like, oh, okay. Like, right. we're just moving he didn't, on. He, okay. didn't, he didn't disclose that. It's fine. Okay. Um, but I think, you know, with the X's and O's, that the practices apparently are a lot different. That was um, a story I read out of their uh, last OTA that they had on Monday, that practices they're running are just very different than what uh, Jim Caldwell had the last few years there. And, you know, I kind of wonder, too, is, is Matt Ryan, like, or she's, wow, is Matthew Stafford, like, I'm thinking contracts in my head right now. I don't know why I went there. But, like, he's, what, year 10 right now? What more? Like, I mean, it's just the last few years have been so right? mediocre. Yeah. Like, why? Why are? Why is there not a bigger store? Like a bigger like spotlight on him and what he can do to take this? You know, to you know get this franchise you know back on track to where they're not you know a five hundred or you know sub five hundred team. So, question for you, to quote Dwight Schrute, question. Um, I've been watching The Office a lot. Sorry. It's the off season. That's fine. Yeah. I never get to watch like shows on Netflix during the season because it's always just writing and podcasting and everything else. So the, at least the month of June and July or the first three weeks of July are mm-hmm. for trying to catch up on things. I had never really watched The Office outside of an episode here or there. So now I'm like all in. Good and bedtime it, TV. Yeah. Fall for sure. asleep with it on. For sure. Um, ben Franklin as a male stripper was an elite episode that we just watched. So don't know if I've seen that one. uh, Yeah, it's worth watching. Anyway, Matthew Stafford or Kirk Cousins? For what? Like my, to bring to dinner? No. To make your franchise quarterback. I mean, Stafford's been there long enough and he really, I mean, yeah, he is by default their franchise quarterback, but what has he won them? So I'm going to go with Kirk Cousins. You could say the same thing about Kirk Cousins in Washington. Well, new, new three years there. Stafford's been in the league for 10 years. Like They have a lot of similarities. No defense, really, during their entire time they were there. Lots of weapons. And the weapons on Detroit are fantastic. I mean, they've stacked up their offensive line. Yeah, this year they've stacked up their offensive line. Their offensive line was not good before, and they've never had any you – know, all three moves that they made early in the draft, and they drafted a fullback later on, all of those moves were made to reflect a better run game, which they just not have. They haven't had a hundred yard rusher in like two years. Okay. I've got a new idea for next podcast. Let's look over the last few years at long snappers, fullbacks, punters, and kickers who were drafted in the late rounds. And if any of them turned out to be good or teams just set those picks on fire. Okay. I think they probably set the picks on fire. Um, Although we can't really analyze the long snappers. I know that that's maybe what you're good at. That's, that's, That's a skill of mine. I, I don't know which one I would pick. I think I would pick Matt Stafford because I know he's got the arm. And he's also... Scramble ability. I mean, he's yes. kind of, you know, everybody for a while there was like, is he is he as good getting up there with Aaron Rodgers? I mean, there were similarities there with the Houdini-like plays and being able to make something out of nothing. But I looked at his numbers last year. They've kind of actually gone down uh, in that factor in, in yards per scramble and just hasn't been as effective with it. I mean, his overall numbers have kind of hovered in the same spot since Jim Bob Cooter took over as offensive coordinator. He had that dip in his career where you're like, wow, this guy might be not that good. And then it's sort of come back up since he started running more West Coast Mm -hmm. and short passing stuff. Golden Tate has played a huge role in that. I think I'm taking Stafford, but only by a a hair. 
because of what you said, because when he was playing the Vikings Thanksgiving Day 2016, he just made a play. It was like third down, and they rushed him, and he just made a play, and he got a first down and, and led the go-ahead drive, or the game-tying drive, I think it was, for them to eventually go ahead after a Sam Bradford interception, where he can go off script, where he can make some special plays, even if he makes mistakes with that big giant arm he has. And sometimes the execution on those short passes isn't always what you want. Guys who can make a special play off script, I give the slight edge to, but those two, that's quite a battle of guys who are really like trying to get over that whole, is he a winner, is he not a winner? And it really tells you something about just the NFL, like narratives. Like Joe Flacco, it's just a bad quarterback. For most of his career, he's mediocre or bad. Good supporting cast, he's, though. He's Right. He's been really bad the last couple of years. Just awful. They finally draft a guy, and he's upset about it. Like, what? He wins a Super Bowl, though, because he had a little tiny window of being real good and then had an amazing playoffs, and he's just riding that Joe Flacco's a winner forever, even though he's an inferior quarterback to Stafford or Cousins. I think what we'll see this year with Cousins – this is the best cast that's ever been around him. Maybe. I mean, the offensive line is a little sus right now. But, um, a little sus. But it's better than the one he had in front of him last year. I mean, you had, like, practice squad guys like by, like, week eight. So, anyways, um, I think that that – T.J. Could... Clemmings played in a game in front of Kirk Cousins last year. It's true. Didn't Tom Compton – no, Tom Compton was with the Bears last year. Yeah. But anyways. T.J. Clemmings played in a National Football League game in front of Kirk Cousins – for, I think, two snaps and gave up two pressures. <laughs> Carry on. I'm sorry. I think a lot of that, like whether we're determining this guy can be a franchise quarterback, will be masked by the fact that he's got Dalvin Cook, who, very, you know, I've seen stuff yesterday that that's who some people from NFL.com, I guess, are projecting as the MVP of this team. Um, you have two of the best wide receivers, you know, you know, arguably the best duo in the NFL. You have a great Pro Bowl tight end. There's every piece in place here to make it happen. Um, the rest is on him. But I do think some of those mistakes, some of the, you know, he's got every tool in place to, to fix the red zone woes. He's got the mattress or whatever he called, Kyle, <laughs> Kyle Rudolph. I mean, he's got, you know, Diggs is actually one of the best red zone wide receivers in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, he had one of the highest, like, uh, pass rating when targeted, wide receiver rating last year. Utilize that. Absolutely utilize that. Run the ball down their throats in the red zone because you have you're going to put a lot of stress in your offensive line, but you have you know somebody who could be a top you know top three, top four rusher this year. That's going to help him in this. It's just when he stands on his own, when some of these pieces might not be in place, Kyle Rudolph, you know what happens to Stephon Diggs years down the road. Then we get the true test of how good this guy really is. Okay, so I've got two future ideas. That's one. Also. I stumbled upon Cade McNown's Wikipedia the other day. Okay, why were you there? Uh, I said to a friend, I'm down like Cade McNown. And so then I had to go to Wikipedia, and it turned out that Cade McNown had been a um, like high school champion pole vaulter. He had dated multiple supermodels while he was a big star at UCLA. He then uh, got injured after the Bears had traded him away. Mm-hmm. You remember all this? I mean, you grew up in Chicago. Yeah. You remember he the was the worst. He era. was the worst quarterback of my, at least, yeah. like, 
I know people want to say Jay Cutler. I really wasn't a fan. Oh, he's years, way better than Cade McNown. Yes, and obviously Rex Grossman and all that he did to get them to the Super Bowl. But Cade McNown is probably the worst quarterback of my fandom when I was a Bears fan a long time ago. So if you are still listening at this point, bless you, and <laughs> send me on Twitter or email random people's Wikipedia, sports, football especially, backup quarterbacks, kickers. Long snappers. Long snappers especially. We have to work on that Jeff Overbaugh wiki, by the way. Well, Send them to me, and I will read them on the air. So, yeah. like, I okay, so here was my list of funny things with Cade McNown. His middle name was Brem. B-R-E-M. B-R-E-M. His, little, his middle name was Brem. He was once charged with illegal possession of a handicap pass in college. What? Oh, my God. Um, the photo on Wikipedia of Cade McNown. I will give you $5 out of my wallet right now if you can guess the team, if you didn't see my tweet. If you can guess the team that he is photoed a, with. Probably not the Bears. Uh, well, it's not the Bears, right. Where the heck else you have? There's no way you guessed this. I mean, it's one out of 31 chance. It's NFL team. Yeah. Not Seattle. No, no, no. It's not okay. a trick question. Um, The Dolphins? Oh, come on. I have no way. You I'm... saw this. No, is it really Dolphins? It's really the oh Dolphins. Oh, my God. <laughs> Although it is, it, I'm not giving you $5. Um, it is, uh, I get, well, I guess I have to pay up now. We have, little, we have a lot of prop bets We have bets a little prop on. bets, and we haven't been really like. Well, the only track. reason I thought about that is because I thought about Jay Cutler, because I was going to try to like one-up you with like, the ah, Wikipedia yes. thing. You know where he's from, right? Who? S- Jay Cutler. No. Santa Claus, Indiana. Oh, okay. It's right here where I went to school in Bloomington. That's pretty they funny. Have a, they have some dumb theme park there. So. The photo is of Cade McNown as a Dolphin, who he never actually played. When did he ever play? play? He didn't play a game Pref- for him. Uh, off season? He was traded there, and then he, I believe, was their number three quarterback. And he also... Behind what? Tannehill would have been there at that point? No, not, no, not yet. So he would have lost to just, like, guys. Or maybe he got hurt. Okay. And then he was in a battle for a job with uh, Gio Carmazzi and Tim Rattay in uh Oh, that's San a name Francisco. I haven't heard in a minute, Tim Rattay. Okay, last one. Eric Edholm, who is with Pro Football Weekly, mm-hmm. sent me this factoid on Cade McNown that he once stole Tim Couch's girlfriend. How did he do that? He kidnap her? Like physically steal her? or? And apparently she was a Price is Right girl. Like, uh, come on down and like, yes, here's a new car. And like, she like waves and shows the thing. He says that's a true story. One more from his wiki. Dick- oh, that's not on his Wikipedia No, page. it's not. You no, should edit that. Speculation. Wiki- Wikipedia, isn't there like something with net neutrality now that we can like just edit anything or I don't know how that works, oh, but I guess so. I um, thought they had rules. I had, uh, no, but nom, Smokey. Oh, I don't know. Uh, right. No, uh, Big Lebowski. No? Okay. I can't quote Big Lebowski. I know the guy drank white Russians because those look disgusting. Um, Dick Duran, his initial plan for Cade McNown when they drafted him was to play Shane Matthews as the starting quarterback, but have McNown play one series per game. That's logical. <laughs> oh, man. So those, those please, like... if you find great wikis like this with so much gold from especially backup quarterbacks, send them. Please. Did Keenum have a good Wikipedia? I haven't looked. Um, trying to think. But that one is that one's going to be hard to beat. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot there. You're unpacking a lot of like uh, PTSD from my childhood of all those horrible Bears teams. Moses Moreno. Oh God. <laughs> 
We were, we were talking about this last week about like awful Bears wide receivers and like could you name five of them from like 1999 to like 2009? Yeah, and we stumbled on TJ Hushmanzada. Yeah, <laughs> Marcus Robinson had like one insanely good year and then was never heard from again except for here in Minnesota where he was just not a factor. Mm-hmm. It's weird football. Anyway, it's the off season, so send Wikipedia players, and we'll uh, catch you next time on the Purple Podcast. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 2. I could see beyond the Black Hills and the way they called for exploration. I could feel the air, the way it paints against skin and fills hungry lungs. I could hear the way the water ran for miles and the way the bison grazed, the way our boots meet the earth as we step past expected. I could imagine my time in South Dakota, and I wish to go back, because there's so much South Dakota, so little time. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.